When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Danny Lavery here. I want to remind you that if you're a fan of Dear Prudence, we have a lot of benefits just for you through Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Every week we have a bonus episode of this podcast that comes out on Fridays that includes a few more questions and answers with our guest. On Slate.com, I do a weekly bonus column as well as a weekly Prudy Uncensored column where I do a casual chat with someone about one of the questions that I answered that week. These are all exclusive to Slate Plus members only, and that's on top of all the other benefits you'll get, which include no ads on any Slate podcast and never hitting a paywall on the Slate website. I just want to say thanks to a few of the people who have recently signed up to support Dear Prudence and Slate. Ari from Los Angeles, AJ Copeland from Washington, D.C., Holly Lambert from Washington, D.C., Bob Metzger from East Lansing, Michigan, Heather Waldron from Maryville, Tennessee, Brenna Liana from Huntington Beach, California, Allison Harris from Raleigh, North Carolina, and Mara from Brooklyn, New York. Thank you all. So please consider joining Slate Plus. It's $35 for the first year, $59 after that. You can also sign up at slate.com slash prudyplus. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Heron Walker, an award-winning freelance journalist who lives in Brooklyn. Her work has appeared in GQ, Esquire, and Out, and she's a longtime Jezebel contributor. I did not mean to put such a, like, smirk on the award-winning freelance journalist part. I thought that was great. I just was like, I, I think every time I have somebody on the show, I say something like, this is my friend, and they do freelance work. Um, well, I, it's it's like I feel like I do stand at the intersection of um, winning awards and also um, being a freelancer who you, you're friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it's important to recognize those um, complicated nuances and the multitudes in which I live you're as a, a woman in America. Queen. I am a liminal queen, liminal spice. Exactly. Was it this week? There was some some green gloop that was reported in Toronto. You're my you're my Canadian friend too. So tell me about that. Yeah. So um, as an award winning journalist, let me tell you about this green goo um, that I saw on the internet on Twitter.com, very passively um, with zero original reporting. So in Toronto, there was what appeared to be like a sinkhole oozing green glowing goo. Um, in reality, the city government was like, like, oh weird, there's a sinkhole. I wonder if it connects to any sewers. That might be bad. So they like poured a bunch of like dyed non-toxic goo in there to see where it connected to. Anyway, um, in an effort to win another Peabody Award, I um, is that even a journalism award? Sure. I'm not going to Google it. I'm a journalist. Um, so in an effort to win more, more Pulitzers, I um, reached out to 25 people I know to see if they would have sex with it. And 15 people got back to me. And I think about half of them said that they would. And you can read my um, investigation on Jezebel.com your source for goo sex. 
updates. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'm especially glad that you referred to something as um, passive reporting because uh, my, my first I am a bottom after like, all. I was just going to say, Heron, it's called <laughs> reporting as a bottom and it's very important. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, you had said someone told you that they would want to uh, fuck the goop, but only if if uh, it was seducing them. And you said, yeah, of course, you're a bottom. And I thought, I wonder, <laughs> is is the way that you want to fuck the goop? Because um, I, I, I guess I just think, like, I, I think in, like, the grand tradition of, like, monster porn and tentacle porn, I think, like, right, wanting to fuck goop is you want to be penetrated, but in a way that's very oozy or that's very, like non like phallic maybe or Mm -hmm. or phallic in a weird way and then I thought maybe that's just um you know maybe I'm like excluding tops from this narrative is there a topish way that you can imagine wanting to fuck goop well that's what I thought was so interesting because like to me I mean looking at it I just because I guess it didn't have like a direct phallic resemblance it was very much like not phallic in the slightest it was just like literally a sinkhole with goo inside of it um, I was like really surprised that um, a lot of people were like, how do I have sex with this? And I was like, oh, right. That's like what everyone says about like, l- like all straight people say about lesbian sex all the time is like, but how do they even have sex? And I'm like, you just do. How don't If they? you want to, you do. Yeah. You just fucking do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyone who's sort of like understanding of sex is purely like, like well, that e- doesn't even like pan out either because like lesbians have eccentric sex. I'm not getting into this on this podcast. It's it's no, transmisogyny season. But, it but is transmisogyny think, season. I am not giving you any more sound bites. Like no, but I do think that that's interesting. I think you know there is a long, at least uh, like imaginary uh, tradition of wanting to fuck goo or wanting to be fucked by goo. And I think <laughs> one of the things about that that I find really lovely is it's such a liminal. I'm saying it. I'm sorry. I'm saying liminal on the podcast again. Um, it's such a liminal thing. Like it can engulf you it can absorb you it can be absorbed by you it can be manipulated and pushed and stretched and it can fill uh i think it's great i'm all for it i hope mm-hmm. everyone fucks more goo at least in their imagination i imagine in practice it would probably mm-hmm. not be too safe in a lot of ways like the terminator you would think that he was a dom top total like daddy but in a lot of ways he's kind of like the ultimate sub bottom um because he just keeps getting destroyed and annihilated and penetrated and just goos himself back together and is like, more please. I can't imagine why you think a trans man would have any idea what it felt like to be mistaken for a top a lot of the time. None of us, none of us have that issue. Let's (laughs) answer other people's questions. And yes, I do top. Karen, would you read our first question, please? Uh, Sure, sure. Subject, not a future aunt. Dear Prudence, my wife is pregnant due in January. We're both women, but I can't safely get pregnant for health reasons. I'm doing everything I can to support her during a difficult pregnancy. My mother-in-law just flat out does not view me as this child's other parent. She expressed great joy when she found out my wife would be carrying the child instead of me, saying she was happy, she was so happy to be having a, quote, real grandchild. This caused a huge fight, which was sort of resolved when her husband apologized on her behalf and said she was heartbroken not hearing from us. My wife has been trying to reform a good relationship with her mom after being very distant throughout her teens when my wife lived with her father. My mother-in-law has really been there for my wife during her health scares this year, and we're both very grateful. But it's really starting to get to me when my mother-in-law refers to our child as, quote, Sarah's baby, and makes pointed comments about her lesbian friends whose child refers to them as, quote, mom and auntie Jane, asking if I'll be referred to as, quote, 
auntie. I've shut these comments down repeatedly, but I just don't think that my wife gets how much they upset me. She often just rolls her eyes at her mom or changes the topic. While I appreciate not wanting to confront her every time, it makes me want to cry. I have no family of my own after getting kicked out as a teenager. And the thought that I'm going to be the only person in my household not related by blood to our child, combined with my mother-in-law's attitude, makes me feel very deeply alone right now. What should I do? I think that I, I, I might be slightly jumping the gun on this one, but my primary concern after reading this letter was how legally protected are you as this child's other parent? Ooh, that is a really, really good point. Like, not to like turn this immediately to a full escalation, but the mother-in-law at least sounds like someone who would take you to court to take your grandchild away in case, say, like your your wife died. Right, and I don't know when this couple got married. I don't know to what extent that was like a legal, federally recognized marriage, or was later like retroactively ushered in as one. I know lots of queer couples who are like married, but even once it became like federally available, weren't necessarily pursuing it. So I, I would just say familiarize yourself with your legal situation and make sure that you are covered in the way that like any quote unquote legally married parent is the like putative other parent of a child. Again, I don't, I don't want you to like come to that with your wife and say like, this is so upsetting that I'm like, taking legal steps to make sure that when we split up in six months, I can, you know, sue you for, for joint custody. But that's a question I, I would want you to have very, very clearly answered before you talk about this any further, because this just feels like very slippery territory. Yeah. Either if you fall out of favor with your wife or your mother-in-law, that could, your relationship could, could be ended with the child without your permission and without your consent. Or much less, you know, if, if something did happen to your wife, like... Your mother-in-law sounds like very unfeeling towards your position. Yeah, I just like, this is not like roll your eyes over sort of thing. This is not like, oh, mom, like this is dehumanizing and devastating and, and, and awful. And I think you need to impress that upon your wife, especially given the context of like, you don't have any of your own relatives left in your life. I get that she wants to reform a good relationship with her mother, but it can't come at the expense of your marriage and like the importance of like, first of all, I think she's just lying about like her lesbian friends. I don't believe this broad's got lesbian friends. And I say broad because I hate her, to be clear, like because she's being a homophobe and I want to be mean to her. I'm going to allow the misogyny continue. Thank you. Um, I do think that um, in terms of more practical advice between the letter writer and her wife. I would assume that you've already had conversations with your wife about how much this hurts you, but perhaps you need to say it in more clear terms that this is hurtful behavior, that this is troublesome, worrisome behavior. You don't like being spoken to this way. You need her to affirm that this is not how she thinks of you in relationship to like your child that you're going to have together. And also... I, I I wouldn't jump to ultimatums or anything, but but also I think there is some like I don't I don't think that a way for your wife to demonstrate that she loves you and supports you is to say cut her mom out of her life at this current moment. But I do think there is some like step up to there where she can affirm to you that you matter and that she is able to defend you and your integrity as this child's mother before yeah. someone who constantly belittles that link. 
Right. And to think like what you are asking of her mother is not don't come over, don't see the kid. It's stop explicitly pretending I'm not the other parent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly easy to do. And I also worry based on her track record of the first time you all quarreled about this, the fight ended when her husband said, hey, I'm sorry she said that and she's really upset. And apparently your wife was like, good enough. And mm-hmm. um, as sympathetic as I can be to your wife's desire to be close to her mother, especially given that she's going to be giving birth soon, I, I think she needs to cultivate resilience on this one. And, and, you know, if you can just say to her, like, if the situations were reversed, I would not do this to you. I would not let it slide if a relative, if I had a relative who was doing this, was pushing you out of the picture or saying that you were an aunt or a roommate or a friend. Like, I, I would not do that to you and I need you not to do it to me. I, I think that's the way to frame it. And if your wife says, no, I'm just going to let her keep on doing this, then boy, that's worth having a big old fight about. And yeah. if she says, you're right, I do need to stop, you know, hold her to that. And I think also in terms of conversations you can just have with yourself and not just conversations you can have with your wife or with your wife's mother, um, talk to yourself about like what what is behavior or treatment that you can accept? What is, you know, do you have any lines? Um, what are your boundaries in regards to this relationship and like the growing like relationships that are coming with with becoming a family. Um, you're allowed to decide that certain treatment is not acceptable to you. It doesn't mean that there can't be discussion when those boundaries are crossed. But um, like Danny said, you're you're not asking for that much at all. You're asking for like a baseline recognition of your relationship with a child who is yours. The people who are close to you should respect that and and validate that and affirm that. Yeah. Yeah. The really just the thing I'm concerned about here is that, you know, if you don't have your wife on the same page, and that's why you have to have that difficult conversation, because even if all that happens is you get confirmation that she's not going to go to the mat for you on this one, at least then you know and can prepare yourself for maybe I don't spend time around my mother in law right now. Maybe I start talking to some of my close friends since I don't have relatives who I can get support from and tell them what's going on. Not in the sense of like, trying to get them to put pressure on my wife, but in the sense of like, if I can't get support from her, I'm going to go where I can. Because this is big. You you need support here. And I want your wife to do the right thing. But if it takes her a little while, then I don't want you to have to go just like pushing through this on your own. And I really, really want you to make sure that like, if you need to make sure that right away you are uh, signing that birth certificate or getting a lawyer to make sure that you're adopting your child right away, do what you need to do. But make sure that you are covered because this is exactly the kind of situation where I feel like if you two had a really bad year or you split up, you know, her mom would be whispering in her ear about how you're not really the other parent and wouldn't it just be easier to, you know, raise the kid by herself. And I I don't want that for you at all. And that's it. I'm sorry. That's awful. That's just really gross and horrible. And it feels like something that would have happened. And if these walls could talk to which I still haven't seen, actually. Have you seen it? I saw it very much on television as a very young person. <laughs> is that the one where Ellen plays a gay woman? I mean, yes, that that is part of the movie, is that Ellen plays a gay woman, which she has done, I think, a couple of other times. Um, but what I remember it as, this was one of the first times that I saw like somebody butch on screen, and it was Chloe Sevigny in the like <laughs> 1970s um like episode and she's just like this little butch 
and she dates no. not Natasha Leone, but somebody like like Michelle Williams, I think. White Michelle Williams, to be clear. Mm-hmm. And all of Michelle Williams' friends are like, she rides a motorcycle and she has a short sleeve shirt on. That's sexism. You two are just recreating heterosexuality. <gasps> Michelle Wait, Williams. Wait, like, maybe I should watch this. It's fantastic. Please do and and tell me everything. I'm going to read our next letter. I've gotten a couple variations of this letter in the semi-recent past, and I feel like it's enough to call it a trend, which is like... (laughs) A trans-trending, perhaps? No, it's like some combination of like (laughs) probably genuinely incompatible orientations, but also definitely with like a dollop of trans misogyny, but with just enough like trans-aware, like, social justice language sprinkled on top that it's, like, you get awful things like, oh, I just really prefer masculine presenting people to to describe, like, the way in which I'm trying to convince my partner not to transition, which, to be clear, it's fine to enjoy masculine presenting people. Oh, okay. Wait, read the question, because I think we have very differing impressions of this. Okay. Yeah, to me, this was, like, classic my husband Betty stuff that was just, like dressed up with a new hat on. Subject, I think my partner wants to transition. Dear Prudence, my partner Bob and I have been together for five years and married for two. When we first met, Bob identified as a bisexual man. Over the years, he has started to realize that he considers himself more gender neutral or non-binary. This was tough for me at first because although I am attracted to both men and women, I tend to gravitate towards more masculine presenting folks of whatever gender. And Bob's gender expressions has moved more towards the feminine side of things, makeup, longer hair, etc. We had some serious conversations about this before we got married, and Bob assured me that he was not interested and never would be interested in transitioning to a woman, and that he didn't see his outward presentation getting much more feminine than it already was. Hope you got that in writing. (laughs) Over the past couple of months, I've been noticing some signs Bob isn't telling me everything when it comes to his gender. For one, I recently learned through one of his coworkers that he has asked his coworkers to call him Bobby and goes by they, them pronouns at work. I asked Bob about this and he sort of shrugged it off, said pronouns aren't a big deal and told me that he preferred I continue to call him Bob and use he, him pronouns. Today, I had to drive his car to an appointment, and I found a stash of fake eyelashes and some other makeup hidden in the glove compartment. I was seriously looking for a napkin. I asked Bob about this, and he again said it was no big deal and changed the subject. I want to give Bob space to figure this all out. And I also feel really left out of this conversation. He is my best friend and my favorite person, and it hurts to know that other people know more about him than I do. Honestly, it also feels weird to know that if Bob is interested in presenting in more of a feminine way or even transitioning, it would be then on me to decide if I could be attracted to a feminine person. And I recognize this is probably a big part of why Bob doesn't want to talk to me about it. Prudy, is it worth me continuing to push to have a conversation about all this, or should I just take Bob at his word and let him lead the way? Okay, so I, I I got a bunch of different reactions to this. I think in terms of answering the only, I think, direct question in the entire three paragraphs, mm-hmm. um, which is, should I continue to push this conversation or should I just let take Bob at his word and let him lead the way? I think you should take Bob at his word and let him lead the way. And when he wants to talk to you about it, he will. 
Um, and I say that because it sounds like neither of you trust each other and like trying to out him. Um, I'm going to use he, him because in your relationship, that's what he wants. Um, to him, I think that could only blow up in your face and further increase the mistrust and whatever. That said, like, you don't have to be together. You guys can break up. You guys can get divorced. I don't know. I've never been married. Um, so perhaps I'm not like giving this the weight it maybe deserves. But like, I think not being attracted to somebody after they transition is, oh, I don't know. Wait, let me rephrase this. I think that like when someone transitions, they're often a different person than they were before in some ways. I don't mean the person died, but like, I, like from my own experience, like I am dating a different group of men than I was before. I'm dating men who are attracted to women before I was dating men who were attracted to men. Um, I, while it might have hurt had I been in a relationship with someone when I transitioned who was gay and like decided that he didn't want to date a woman, mm-hmm. I, in hindsight, I don't think I could hold that against him. I don't know. I think this might not be a totally popular view. Um, I just don't think that cis people are wrong or bad for wanting to end a relationship with someone after they transition. Oh, man. It's, no, no, no. It, especially because it, it sounds like this is holding Bob back. This relationship is holding Bob back. Like, he's yeah. literally not being himself because he wants to maintain this relationship. Yeah, no, to be really clear, my moments of skepticism or frustration with some of the ways in which this letter has been framed has nothing to do with incompatible sexual orientations or just you know, desires that are increasingly moving farther and farther apart. There is no no moral judgment in that. Um, I I think the problems are the ways in which the letter writer doesn't want to go there and Bob doesn't want to go there. So you end up with a situation where it's like, hey, we're getting married kind of on the condition that you promise you don't want to transition any more than you've already sort of gestured towards. Which is like, if you have to have that conversation where it's like, okay, we're good. You just don't want to get any more girly, right? Right. It's like, I think if you reflect on that moment, you probably can see like maybe where did we sow the seeds of our future problem, you know, which yeah. is like we're we're dating with like or getting married with this big caveat or unless or as long as or like this is a clause in your contract and if you violate it, you know, as you say later, like, okay, maybe that's part of why Bob doesn't want to share any of these moments with me. And talk about whether or not it just feels like I sometimes enjoy being in a slightly different mode with different people, or I know you don't like this, so I'm getting it out elsewhere, or I'm really thinking about transitioning, but I really don't know yet. And I don't want to risk our marriage by saying I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure with somebody who said, if you get any girlier, I won't want to be with you. And again, that doesn't make you a monster for feeling those things. Um, But it also, I, I think what you're realizing is that it is not sustainable if you are with someone who is starting to think about gender and identity and the possibility of some sort of transition in the future. And you say, as long as you can kind of assure me that we're going to stay right here, we're good to go. Like, that's the problem. Not, I'm mostly like, you know, butches or whatever. Yeah. Also, I mean, whatever, I guess I'm already getting into it, but like if Bob transitioned and like was just like a butch lesbian, would none of these problems still be there? I don't know. I'm like, I, I also don't know if I totally trust the, like, it's about masculinity thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also have some some questions there, but I don't want to get too... I've seen this a lot. And I guess I would just say the thing that 
feels the most important is that if it feels like you've got this queasy feeling and it's like any, any slight change in Bob's general demeanor makes me freak out at the possibility that I'm going to be in a marriage with somebody I'm not into, then that's probably time to start talking. And again, I really don't recommend doing the whole like, I found your treasures, you know. That's also like super, wait, like, I don't know if you saw my faces when like, she was like, uh, <laughs> I found a sack of fake eyelashes in the car. I was just looking for a napkin. Like that reminds me of me when like, I found like my brother's old hustler bag in his room and my parents caught me with it. And I was like, I found it in Ben's room. I was looking for colored pencils. Yeah. It's just, that's such a weird thing to throw in there. It's like, but I wasn't looking for this. I mean, again, I think there's that kind of deflection of like, I just don't like that my partner's keeping this from me, which like, sure, I think that's part of it. But like, really the thing is, you found the eyelashes and the problem was that you were like, this is a fucking libido killer for me. I find this not hot. I find this worrying. I find this a number of other things that may or may not, again, like, you can have feelings that are sometimes affected or inflected by trans misogyny. And that doesn't mean that you hate trans women or that you are a monster. It just is like, that's sort of like, oh no, deflation slash some contempt that I I feel occasionally in moments here. Yeah. Yeah. That feels a little, I, 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 I have seen a version of this letter before and I think I know that that's part of what it is. So then the question is like, how do I say something to my partner like, I don't want to crush this for you, but it's also clear that we're not able to talk about this and I don't like it, but I want you to be able to explore it, but I don't like it. Like, how do you have that conversation? And part of me just feels like, honestly, I don't know that you can. And maybe you just have a conversation that's like, did we really set ourselves up for success when two years ago when we got married, we said like, we're going to be married as long as Bob is just this exact flavor of non-binary and no more or no else. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think you've already said this in in different ways, but like, it's just like an unreasonable expectation to have of someone that like, you will never change. I mean, again, I've never been married. I don't know what that's like. Never heard of it. Maybe I will. Who knows? But like, isn't that like famously part of like the classic vows, like for richer, for poorer, whatever, whatever. Not like I think people should never get divorced, but like, I, I think it's it's bizarre to assume that like someone can promise you stability. Um, I think you can promise like consistency of support and affection. I don't think you can promise stability of life circumstance. Like yeah. your health needs could change any moment. You... I don't know, could like your your employment situation can change at any moment. Like you're you you can't promise to be this like say you're like you're someone thinks of you as like an ideal partner when you get married based on certain factors. It's like you can't promise those things will always be there. Yeah. You can promise the person that you are on like a fundamental, like spiritual goo core level, like can always be there, but like the other things can't. And it's also fine if those change your desire to be in the relationship. But like, you guys just need to like fucking be real with each other. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that's it. Like, be normal. Whole, like when you got married, you already knew your partner was thinking about gender neutrality, non-binary-ness, the possibility of transition. Like, I don't want to pick one word and run with it. But like, and that again, too, is why I can, like, I, I feel like it's relevant to bring up trans misogyny here which, without saying, like, I think Bob is definitely like, 
a trans woman and like that's the thing. It's just like the fear of a trans woman is part of what's driving this. And that whole thing about like it would be on me to decide if I could be attracted to a feminine person. Mm -hmm. Let's leave that general question aside and just say like from your letter, it feels really clear to me that you're not interested in any version of your marriage where Bob continues with anything like a transition or a non-binary existence that is more feminine than was, you know, what you were looking at two years ago. I think you can, you sound pretty clear. You're like, I found eyelashes. I just wanted a napkin and there's fucking eyelashes. You're not into it. You don't think it's hot. You're not excited about it. You're not Mm -hmm. interested in it. If you gave it a shot, I think it would be out of a sense of obligation and because Bob is your best friend and because you feel sad and you want to try to square this circle. And that's where, mm-hmm. again, I do not fault you at all for not being into something. I don't fault Bob for realizing, you know, as he's considering more and more his various options, various things that he might want to try, that he's like, oh, I do want to try more things. Neither of you is wrong for that. But, like, the problem is when you pretend to be cool with something you're not, you're usually pretty bad at pretending. That's a yeah. universal you, by the way. Most people are like, I could be into that. You know, it's like, Paula Pell on 30 Rock, which she's like, Pete, you're having an affair with Liz. I'd like to invite you into our lovemaking. And it's just visibly like crestfallen. Yeah. Also, if like if Bob is is your best friend and part of this anxiety is around losing this relationship, a great way to ensure that this person, that your relationship will continue in some kind of way, even if it's just friendship, is to not let it deteriorate through secret keeping and quietly building resentments to the point that you never want to see each other again because that is one possible way that this this might continue if you don't just have an honest conversation with each other and also an honest conversation with yourself too about whether you would want to be married to a transitioning trans woman and then a trans woman regardless of what her final presentation and gender is going to be. Like, because that's not, you don't like there is trans misogyny undergirding a bunch of this, but also like you don't need to inflict that upon a trans woman either. It's not even, it's not just a question about you. It's like, I don't know. It sounds like Bob is also having like misgivings about your current relationship. Sounds like you two have that in common actually. Yeah. Like this can be something I think you can talk about. That's not just like, I have awful, shocking news. Like, you both know what's going on. And Bob's not stupid. Bob knows what you're afraid of and what you don't like and what you kind of treat like a bug in your salad. And, you know, again, really trying to just, like, stress, it is not trans misogynist to be like, I like men or I like trans masks or whatever else. That is just not a problem. The problem is, like, oh, I'm so glad you just reassured me you promised you never want to be a trans woman. What a relief. Fantastic. Let's get married on the strength of that promise. And then later, if you want to wear eyelashes and don't tell me about it, I'm going to be really like, it just hurts me that other people know more about you than I do. And it's like, again, that intense self-righteousness is because of you feel like... Bob has violated a promise and that promise I think was offered on the wrong grounds. And so that's the part that I think is inflected with trans misogyny, not that you are the worst person in the world. And I wish you both the best. I think you will get divorced probably. And I think it will be good for you. And maybe you can end up having a lovely different kind of relationship later. And maybe you can't, I just don't want any, I don't want anyone who's thinking about the possibility of some aspect of transition to be like in a marriage with a, straight person who or or a 
a person who's not interested in their transition and is like, you know, how little can you offer me? Um, how small can you make this? Yeah, it's like it shouldn't be a negotiation. If anything, uh, a faster and easier way to transition is to like go overboard and then learn to scale back as opposed to like slowly inching towards a negotiated like step back from the thing you even want. Like, Bob, if you get divorced, you can go to Sephora, let some like gay dude at Sephora give you the full face and like grift you out of like $200 to get all these brushes and makeups. You can look insane for three months and then realize you actually just need mascara. I recommend it. Personal experience. I recommend that so much more than like slowly inching towards like lip gloss and lipstick because like you're afraid of upsetting someone. I'm going to read this next letter because we, no, I'm not. I just read this letter. You're going to read the next letter. It's my turn. I wrote it down and everything and I still forgot. I'm sorry. Subject, want my name changed, but don't want to tell my parents. Dear Prudence, I recently turned 18 and moved off to college where, for the first time in my life, everyone around me is using my preferred name instead of my dead name. I'm trans, in parentheses. Though I had been on the fence about this earlier, this made me realize I want my legal name changed as soon as I get back home. Uh, It's my home state this Christmas. I love my parents, and they're tolerant of my gender expression, if not outright supportive. However, I strongly suspect that my mother will feel betrayed if I don't consult her and would be generally judgmental and cold even if I did. Parentheses. She and my father had an unpleasant divorce, and she resents that I chose a name from my father's baby book and not hers. Uh, I know I'll have to tell them at some point, but I really feel like it's none of their business, and I want to avoid doing it for as long as possible. Should I talk to them about it now and endure the discomfort? Or should I just let it come up naturally and risk an even worse reaction? I can't imagine how it would come up naturally aside from like, we heard someone else call you a different name and now we're mad. So it's really just a question of like, when do you want to fight with your parents about this? Yeah. um, Disclaimer, this is probably like um, transphobic on many levels to say, but just like nut up. And like do the uncomfortable thing. I mean, this is just like general universal advice. It's like, you are going to have this confrontation at some point. Would you rather have it on your terms or would you rather like have it be sprung upon you when you could have controlled when this happened? Yeah. Like you just just have the uncomfortable talk with them. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I sympathize with like, you just turned 18. You're at college. That's rough. Uh, your parents are let's say lightly transphobic, that's tough. You're not eager to have a difficult conversation. Makes a lot of sense. But the question is sort of like, is there a strategy that I can adopt for the next like year and a half where if I do a ton of behind the scenes work, the actual conversation will be like short or easy or they'll listen to me? And the answer to that is just no. Um, you know, you you can give yourself a deadline if you don't feel like having this conversation now, but your mom's going to feel betrayed no matter what. Uh-huh. because she's a little transphobic and she feels like you're choosing a new name is an indictment of her. And this, like the, my, my, my stance on this thing, Heron, I have an official stance, which is that a lot of people say things like, it's not that you transitioned, it's that you fill in the blank, like picked the wrong name, didn't talk to me first, told me in an email, told a different relative first. 
And I, I have seen that happen enough in my own life, in the life of other trans people and in letters that it's just really clear to me that somebody who wants to say, I don't like that you're trans. I think it's stupid and I want to talk you out of it. But like they're just savvy enough to know that they can't say that without pushing. It's back. also, yeah, it's also to me indicative, even moving beyond um, the sort of subconscious or uh, transphobia of this um, description of their relationship. Like it's also just kind of like, it reminds me of just like slightly like, Ugh, I hate to use the A word. Conflict is not abuse, but also like slightly emotionally abusive, like manipulative relationships with people where it's like you said, it's all about like this idea that they're not mad at you, period, or they don't resent you or just not like you. It's like they find a reason to make it seem like you have done something to incur this kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. And so then you get in the habit of thinking like you have now, like, I'm assuming this is based on a lifelong pattern of behavior in terms of your relationship with your mom, where it's like, you seem to have always done something wrong. Like, right. Or it's like your job as her kid to help her deal with the fact that she had a bad divorce. And it's just like, yeah. well, first of all, that's in the past. Sorry to hear that. But second of all, like, I'm your kid. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Go to hell, mom. RIP to your mom, but I'm different. <laughs> Um, I'm like, let me like shut the door on your mom and call her a fucking bitch under my breath for you. Just, um, anyway, um, I, I, sorry, that just brought out like the suburban teenager in me for a no, second. I, I get um, it. It's, it's very like, you're going to have the discomfort either way. The question is just like, will it be easier to endure the discomfort and also know that you don't have to talk about it until maybe you're a little further along in college. I don't know if you're financially dependent on them and you're worried about them taking money away. If that's the case. That's real absolutely keep that stuff locked down as long as you can. Um, and and to that end, I would also probably suggest if it were a question of financial support, you might want to put off that legal name change until you are out of school. But I think I think that the letter writer would have mentioned that if that were a consideration. Um, if that's not a consideration, um, I would just be upfront and direct with her as soon as possible about it if there's no material consequences for doing so. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, I, I mean, maybe I'm totally off base and projecting, but it sounds like this might be the kind of relationship where in the future you will continue to do like little wrong things that make her feel betrayed. And that is maybe something to just recognize about the relationship if that's something that resonates. Maybe I'm totally wrong and this is just a one-time thing, but... I mean, I think this, the the thing that bridges the last letter and this one is that um, there are, it, it is not a good ground for a relationship if what one person is either overtly or covertly saying to you is transition as little as possible, change as little mm -hmm. as possible, inconvenience me as little as possible. If you make changes that I don't like, um, I will find reasons uh, why those things are somehow uh, an attack on me or an indictment on me. Obviously, the parents in this question are very, very different from the um, uh, letter writer of the last question. They're not at all on the same level, but it is the same unbearable situation, which is like maybe if I transition as like as if I were opening a bag of chips in a movie theater. We all remember <laughs> movie theaters, right? And you're like trying to do it really quietly so no one notices and it doesn't bother anyone. And in trying to minimize the effect, you end up drawing out a painful situation. Everyone's mad at you anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> not to be all like, well, this is what happened to me. But like for years, my whole family did that whole dance of we're not transphobic, but. And they were mm -hmm. just like, your brother just can't wrap his head around it. 
And, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's because he found out from somebody else because you didn't tell him directly and he's never been able to get over that. I'd go have a conversation with him about it. I'd share with him a lot. He'd be transphobic. I'd apologize. And I think like, maybe we made some progress and then, you know, same thing. And it was just like, oh, your brother just can never get over the fact that you didn't tell him right away. And it's like, I'll try again. And then it turned out he was a pedophile and everyone in the family was protecting him to make sure he had continued access to kids. And I was like, oh, they're liars. And they're also on top of that transphobic. And the problem was not that I didn't come out in the right way. It's yeah. that they were, you know, busy enabling a pedophile. And also they don't like trans people. And, um, I wish I had not wasted quite so much time bending over backwards and constantly apologizing for, I'm sorry I came out the wrong way, even though your reaction to my coming out has completely borne out my belief that you were not safe people to come out to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had that kind of like experience specifically with transphobia, but definitely with someone who um, just would hold grudges about the ways in which I supposedly did something wrong mm-hmm. um, for months and despite also claiming simultaneously like this person cared about me, loved me. And yet in my gut, I was like, you don't like me and you resent me, but you can't be real about this. And so I just have to keep trusting you, even though I know this isn't true. And then being told every single time when I'm like, why are you, you know, being mean to me, dismissive to me, whatever, um, being told that it was, you know, because of something I had did months done months ago and that it was like, the thing itself wasn't bad, but like the way in which I had done it or communicated it or not communicated it soon enough, that was the thing that I'd done wrong. And so it was just always finding things to hold over my head in order mm-hmm. to like, honestly, like like um, leverage power against me in our relationship. So I always felt like I like was making up for something. Yeah. And that's not to say that anyone who ever says it's not how this thing happened or it's not that this thing happened, it's how it happened is always being a shit. But if it happens constantly in a relationship, it's often a good indicator that that person will always find a reason to object to whatever it is that you have done or said. Um, So, you know, figure out a time that you think it will be the least worst to have this conversation. And unless it's going to, um, you know, unless you think you're going to be running the risk of, of not being able to pay for college, you know, at least then you won't have to be uncomfortable and keep a secret, you know. That's like, you'll have one less problem. They'll be kind of shitty about it. And you can say like, look, I'm not asking you to call me this name. I know you'll be assholes about it. Uh, I'm just doing it with other people. And then you can do that until you realize that that's fucking unbearable. And then you can be estranged from them six years from now or 10 instead of now. You can always kick that can down the road if you want. Yeah. No one can see you but me. But before when you were recording and you had your phone up to your ear, you looked like the advertisement for that board game Dream Date. But now, like, the lights are dimmed and the light on your phone has gone up and you're, like, leaning closer to the camera. So it's, like, <laughs> dream date after dark edition. And it's, like, oh my God. he's calling after 8 p.m. What are we going to do? I got to prep for my, like, my, my next gig after this. You know, I got to prep for it. But <laughs> Heron, thanks, as always, for bringing up the subject of prep on the podcast. It's an important one. Oh, yeah. Wait, did I take it today? I think I did. Um, Do you have an alarm for it? Uh, no, the alarm is just like, I just put it next to my toothbrush and I'm like, this means something. You know that it means something. Do it. Um, thank you for having me again. Um, it was delightful. I am continually wowed by um, just how clearly you have answered thousands of 
people's questions seeking advice that you can immediately like suss out the bullshit when it's not immediately apparent to a to a newcomer guest. Um, this was delightful as always, Danny. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. For whatever reason, this guy decides not to bathe or brush his teeth, despite it being pretty straightforward and simple, and despite my telling him a lot of times that it's important to me. I can either be in a relationship with someone who I love a lot and who treats me well, but who I have to like come up with daily, like, I don't know, Cicero in the Senate style arguments for why you should brush your teeth today. Does that sound like the kind of relationship that I would like to be in or does it not? And I think you should say it's not. And so I think the conversation would be like, I love you. This hasn't changed. I don't want to be with someone who who does this. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.